before we get started, I, I need to remind us that uh, March 24th is our love feast, and therefore, if you want to host it, please see Mrs. Robin uh, so that um, you can arrange with her. She's one that coordinates this. Let's pray. I'm most eternal and everlasting Father, King of kings and Lord of lords, majestic in all your ways, awesome God, great, powerful, loving, caring, compassionate. No one in heaven or earth like you. You are the creator, the supreme ruler, God of love, God of mercy. We are blessed that you have so chosen us that we are called your children. What a privilege, what an honor it is that we are so called. Although we do not know what it will be like to be with you, but you have assured us through your word that as your son Jesus Christ is with you, so we will be. For this, we bow down to say, May all glory, honor, dominion, and power belong to you, for you deserve them. Ours continues to be the wonderment that you will take earthen verses like us and turn us into members of your eternal kingdom. So, Father, we have gathered this morning in obedience to instruction that we should do so, especially as we see the evil days draw near, and we know we are in tumultuous times, but our confidence is in you. And therefore, as we have gathered, we pray that God the Holy Spirit will enable each and everyone here to hear precisely what you want him or her to hear. This is a request in Christ's name. Amen. We are now in First Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7. First Corinthians chapter 13 verses 4 through 7 where we will be dealing with some characteristics of love. It reads in the 1984 edition of the NIV love is patient love is kind it does not envy it does not boast it is not proud it is not rude it is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Now this section of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7 is certainly concerned with some characteristics of love. But before we examine this passage, we need to make general comments about the subject of love. Our first comment is that all believers should be interested in the subject of love. All believers. 
Now it is true that many people, especially those in, in marriage relationships, are interested in the subject. The believers should be more interested in the subject for at least two related reasons. First, it is because of its importance in our relationship to the Lord. Now the scripture is clear that the most important of the commands in the scripture is for believers to love the Lord. Second, we are also commanded to love each other as that which distinguishes believers in Christ. Now these two reasons are, falsely, are given falsely during the interaction between a Pharisee that's an expert in the law and the Lord Jesus Christ as narrated for us in Matthew chapter 22 verses 36 through 40. Matthew chapter 22 verses 36 through 40. He reads, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Secondly, as we stated, the Lord Jesus communicated to his disciples that love for each other is to be the hallmark of believers that will cause the world to recognize that they belong to him as we read in John chapter 13 verses 34 through 35. John chapter 13 John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. It reads, A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. But by this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Now, although believers may, uh, in many cultures though today, are failing to obey this instruction of the Lord Jesus Christ, the reality is that love is a topic we need not only to understand, but to apply if we are going to have the right kind of relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Furthermore, if we're going to have the right kind of relationship with others, especially our fellow believers, we need to understand and apply love. You see, the reason many local churches 
have problems among their members is the absence of love. Some of us have problems with fellow believers that we are ready to slander them because we do not love them. Others are willing to hurt their fellow uh, believers for the same reason. Still, others are greedy, so they want everything for themselves at the expense of others for the same reason that they do not love others. So I'm saying to you that it is, if we should analyze the ills of any society, we'll find though that at the root is the absence of love. Since sin controls all humans. Of course, when we put it this way, we mean that it is because people have not known God's love in that they are not believers. Or if they are believers, they do not understand the implication of God's love towards them. And that's why they don't love others. You see, it's impossible for anyone to truly love or have love as God intended and then harm others. That cannot happen. Thus, love as a subject is an important one to understand. A second comment is that there is confusion, especially in the time we live regarding the subject of love. There's a, there's a great confusion. And I hope you will not admit that. But this confusion is in part due to at least two related reasons, especially in this country. The first is the influence of the entertainment industry. There are many things that are portrayed in the movies or on the television that confuse this matter of love. Now the second is due to things written either by social scientists or by novelists. Those who write these novels, people read romantic novels. See, many things are written to make people think of this idea of what, they, what I call ideal romance that they call love that exists nowhere. Now, one of the things that you know, people can, yeah, forget, and to me, I think I thought about it as something that illustrates what, when I talk about Eros things in the Greek. You see, people, they portray them at one point, they're so happy on the TV. That's just a portrayal, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't last past that point. That's a, an example of aerostance. We capture that. We wish that was true all the time. Then it would be great, but it's not. So, many of the people that watch them, the dramatization of love on the television or read the romantic novels, are not able to differentiate reality from fiction. They can do that. So, as many minds become filled with some of the unrealistic and misleading conceptions of love 
given either in the movies or in the novels, they begin to dream of love and want to be loved in the fashion that they see it portrayed. And when this doesn't happen, they become frustrated and bitter, which often leads to murder and all kinds of problems in life. In other words, the young woman reads these romantic novels and she thinks that's real. And gets married and gets a shock of her life. It's not real. But, you know, her mind has already been, you know, poisoned into thinking this is what love is, but it's not. Anyway, related to uh, these reasons is that we live then in a society where humanistic thinking has taken over. Humanistic thinking has taken over. Therefore, there is this great emphasis of freedom to say or express how you feel. Now, when people are encouraged to express how they feel without reminding them of consequences of actions of a person. The result is always confusion. This is one of the reasons people are confused about love. We are being encouraged to live by our emotions as against thought. So, things written and things people are portrayed in, on TVs and so on are part of what creates confusion about love. A third comment is that it is difficult to define love. And so, it is the least understood word in the English language. I will not be exaggerating if I say that almost everyone uses the word. But only a few truly understand the meaning. And still, only a fewer number of people actually enjoy it in their life. So in a sense, love is an elusive concept. That is very difficult to put in words of one or two sentences. Now to prove my point, you could consult an in, any English dictionary to see how love is defined. Take for example, Webster's dictionary defines love using several sentences. And I quote, quoting from uh, Webster's, it reads, Affection based on admiration or benevolence. Warm attachment. Enthusiasm or devotion. Unselfish concern that freely accepts another in loyalty and seeks his good. The attraction based on sexual desire. The affection and tenderness felt by lovers. End of quote. That's why I say even the English dictionary doesn't help you to 
put it in one word or so or two sentences. Anyway, there are several reasons though that it is difficult to define love. There are several reasons. First, it is because of the Greek noun agape and its related uh, verb agapeo that is more uh, frequently used in the New Testament to describe love. Now we have uh, already considered the noun agape and concluded that it is used predominantly in the New Testament to refer to the quality of warm regard for an interest in another. Hence, that it may mean esteem, affection, regard or love. Now this definition does not, in a sense, tell the full story of what love is as the passage before us uh, bears out. So, that's the first reason that word agape. Second, it is difficult to define love in one or two sentences, so to say, because the scripture also indicates that love is demonstrative Love is demonstrative. Now the Holy Spirit through Apostle John makes this point in relationship to Jesus Christ and to believers in general. So the Holy Spirit through the Apostle tells us how to recognize love in the sacrificial date of the Lord Jesus Christ as we read in 1 John chapter 3 verse 16. 1 John Chapter 3, verse 16. First John, chapter 3, verse 16. First John, chapter 3, verse 16 reads, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. So John was not being theoretical because the word know here that he used is translated from a Greek word that here is related to observation and experience. Observation and experience. So, things you know by experience, you don't forget easily. Hence, he wrote based on his observation and experience as the Holy Spirit guided him. For example, he observed Jesus' demonstration of love in washing the feet of his disciples that not only thought of his love, but also his humility, showing that love cannot withhold any good service from its recipients because of arrogance, as John had observed and recorded for us through the lost action in John, the gospel. Uh, by the way, put your marker on 1 John chapter 3 because I'm going to come back there. Uh, shortly. So, first John, now we move to John chapter 13, verse 1. John chapter 13, verse 1. 
It is. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. Look at what he showed. That's why love is demonstrative. Now we cannot help but imagine that when our Lord was washing the feet of the disciples, that John was saying to himself something like this. This is love. The master washing the feet of his disciples. If, if it is not love that led him to serve his disciples, what is it then? Now, that is likely how John felt. Well, so he can write it. Now, the, this incident added to the process for John of knowing what love is, but to John, the climax of what love is, is what happened on the cross. In other words, John says, to understand love, one must look to the cross, and that is why he writes in 1 John 3.16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. So he is saying that Christ went to the cross because of us. He is saying that love is related to the cross. Now the cross tells the story of love. So if one wants to understand the nature of love in action, he must look to the cross. So you can see immediately, if you don't look to the cross, you cannot understand love. No matter what you say, practice, you just cannot do that. At the cross, we see a sacrifice offered for the undeserving. We see the power of God demonstrated in providing salvation for us. Now if we simply consider these facts... We may state that John is saying that love in action is sacrificial. Sacrificial. Love in action is not concerned with what others think of the person demonstrating it. It's not concerned with shame because our Lord Jesus Christ did not mind the shame of dying on the cross when he provided for us our eternal life. Doesn't to know true love in action is to truly understand the significance of what happened at the cross. Now speak about the cross. May I emphasize that there are at least two factors we consider when we think of the love as related to the cross. These two factors. That love is sacrificial. In other words, it's until it costs you something. You really don't can say it's loving. It's sacrificial. It costs. 
That's what we're saying. Love is sacrificial. The other part of it, it is unconditional. Unconditional. You see, Christ didn't say, you are knuckleheads. He could have said that we are knuckleheads with sin. Why would I go and die for you? It's unconditional. He did it. So, that is the thing that we see about love. That it has to be sacrificial. It has to be unconditional. In other words, it doesn't depend on what the other person does or doesn't do. Now, is that how we know love today? Mm-mm. Many of us respond to what the other person does. And that's what we, how do we think about love. The love that Christ showed was unconditional on the cross. It didn't concern anything from us. So anyhow, John himself continued then to uh, convey that love is demonstrable when he communicated that love we exhibit must be demonstrable too. As he wrote still in that John, first John we're looking at, chapter 3. Look at now verses 17 and 18. Verse 17 of first John. Uh, go back, I think I say. Verse, verse 17 of first John, chapter 3 reads. If anyone has material possessions... And sees his brother in need. They has no pity on him. How can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. So you see, John forsets this scenario here that challenges the concept of love in the situation of a fellow believer in need. So he, he then tells us that love is demonstrable when he issued the exhortation. Let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions. You see then, there are those who just like to talk. But no action. John says that such does not apply with love. Love must involve action for the one, for anyone to truly claim to love another. So in any event, the scripture indicates that love is demonstrative. Third, reason it's difficult to define love is because the scripture says that it is an attribute of God as stated in 1st John chapter 4 verse 8 an attribute of God First John chapter 4 verse 8 it is Whoever does not love does not know God because God 
is love. Now the sentence God is love is not a definition of God. Rather, it is a description of his nature or his divine attribute. Now, that this is an attribute though of God can be seen in what is written in Exodus chapter 34 verse 6. Exodus Exodus chapter 34 verse 6. So that's the first way I show that well, 1 John 4, 8 cannot be a definition of God. Rather than an attribute of God. Here it reads, Exodus chapter 34, verse 6 reads, And he passed in front of Moses, that is the Lord of Yahweh, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abandoning, abandoning in love and faithfulness. So the phrase abandoning in love indicates attributes to God as well as slow to anger. Now if someone wants to uh, make this sentence of 1 John 4, a God is love as the definition of God, then how can that person deal with the statement that we find in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 29. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 29. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 29. Hebrews 12, 29 reads, For our, for our God is a consuming fire. God is a consuming fire. Now definitely, this is nothing but a statement to show that God is a God of justice and judgment. Now, it is not intended to define God. God, therefore, in the same way, our sentence, God is love, is not a definition of God, but an assertion of his attribute. Anyway, it is because love is God's attribute that makes it difficult to define in an absolute sense. Fourth reason is difficult to define love is because the scripture nowhere defines love in one sentence or so. If love is easy to define, the Holy Spirit would have defined it here in this 13th chapter of First Corinthians that is the focus of our study. So we admit that it is difficult to define love absolutely. Difficult. A fourth comment 
is that although it is difficult to define love absolutely, that we can offer a practical definition of it that should guide our conduct as we relate to each other. Thus, based on the difficulties that we have stated regarding the definition of love, and based on what the apostle wrote as some of the characteristics of love in the passage we are about to study, that is 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7, based on that, we then offer a working definition of love, which, if you've been here long enough, it's not a new thing to you, but we, this is when I gave that definition, I reached to this passage, and the passage we were studying in First John before I gave this definition. And that is this. Our working definition then is this. That love is a thought action phenomenon that involves a subject, an object, whereby the object is benefited. Again, a thought, action, phenomenon that involves a subject and an object whereby the object is benefited. Now what this definition does is that it immediately removes love from feeling-centered to thought-centered. Now uh, definitely, thought does not exclude feeling or emotion, but it controls it. However, we should caution though, that this is one sentence definition that must be elaborated upon in order to, uh, for anyone to truly understand love. It is simply designed to help us organize our understanding of love. That's all this definition does for us. Now, so this definition fits well with what John wrote about what love is, as evident in the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. Now, the death of Jesus Christ on the cross was first due to God's thinking about how to redeem us. That's the thinking part. And then, him acting. That's the, the other part of action, thought action. So there's a subject, God, the object, we. We are benefited. So anytime you have love, that must be, it must be a result of thought that leads to action that benefits the object of your love. Thus we can see then that Jesus' love demonstrated on the, cro- on the cross is indeed a thought, action phenomenon that benefits those who believe in him. A fifth comment is that love is that the love that is expected of a believer is not something that is natural to the individual. It is not natural to the individual. Now, this is one of those reasons that, in my judgment, 
And uh, maybe where we wait, as you say. But in my judgment, this is why I think that the best love marriage base should be among the people sitting here. Because you get this word taught to you. So if you live by it, you should be so exemplary. Now I say this and I don't, I don't, I don't, I say it, I don't say it lightly. That all the married couples, for example, in this church should be the envy of all those who are around them. Who know them. Because if you know what we're studying and you're applying them, you constantly drip off love and people will just wonder. They don't know what's, you know, they look at both of you, don't know what, what to make of both of you. They think you are, I mean, though you are maybe married 30 years, 40 years, they think you are teenagers. Ah, yeah, right. So, but what is that? Is the cause of what I'm explaining here. That once people begin to understand that love that we're talking is not natural. That means there's a power that has to be in you to bring about this. And therefore, anyone here who has understood what we've been studying about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, being in control of the Holy Spirit, being filled of the Spirit, then you should do that which is not natural. Which is to exhibit love that is unnatural. So that's why I'm saying that, that my fifth comment then is that the love that is expected of a believer is not something that is natural to the individual. It is that which can only exist under the enabling power of the Holy Spirit. Now we say this because love is a first aspect of the fruit of the Spirit that the Holy Spirit gave to us through Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 5 verse 22. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. Now I'm going to be, of course, uh, making references to this passage, Galatians 5, 22, as we're studying. I'll just keep making references to it. So I will go, and I come, I go to this passage because it has a whole lot to tell us about love and the Holy Spirit. So that's why... I'll be going, I go and I come back to it every now and then through this study. It is by the fruit of the, uh, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. The first one, of course, love. A sixth comment is that the apostle considers, Apostle Paul in this case, considers love an indispensable element of the functioning of a local church or that which is the most important in the spiritual life of the local church and so of individual believers. This he did when he wrote in the last sentence, of 1 Corinthians 12 verse 31 when 
when he wrote, And now I will show you the most excellent way. Thus, because of the importance of love, the apostle saw the need to give a fuller treatment of it in the passage that we are about to consider. Of course, the need to elaborate on the subject is certainly related to the conduct of the Corinthians. In effect, the elaboration of the apostle is because the Corinthians were not exhibiting within them the characteristics of love the apostle gave in the passage we are about to study. A seventh comment is that the apostle personified love so that he used 15 verbs to describe love. Now the use of verbs indicates that the apostle sees love more so in terms of actions than either emotion or merely a declaration that one utters. Furthermore, he sees the action involved as real, taking place at a time of interaction between the subject and the object of love. Well, we say this because all the 15, 15 verbs the apostle used are in the present tense in the Greek and in what is described in the Greek grammar really as an indicative. indicative. That is though, uh, the mood of assertion where the writer portrays something as actual, as actual, as opposed to possible or contingent on intention. Something actual. Thus, it is impossible for action associated with love to be anything but real. And taking place in real time of the interaction between the subject and the object of love. Now that aside, although the apostle personified love, we should understand that he meant to convey that the characteristics he stated are those of believers who are under the control of the Holy Spirit as those who have love. So with these comments out of the way, we are now ready to examine what the Holy Spirit says through the Apostle Paul about love. Now love is something abstract in that you could not hold it, but it is something that can be recognized or characterized in relation to how a subject acts towards a subject. In other words, it is not that much meaningful of speaking of how love or of having love without an object that it is directed or an action from the object of love. Now, this is one of those things, what we're saying is, 
if you don't have an object, then when you talk about love, I mean, love, it's really, it's really meaningless. Because, you know, you're not directing it to anything. So there has to be an object. This is one of those reasons why Christianity, we know, we worship the true God. The God revealed that no human mind can conceive. Now, many, many times the, uh, there have been those who debate about the subject of the three, the three young God, the three persons in the Godhead. And those who debate that, they don't usually think about love. Because the question is, if you think about love, can you say God is love? Now, if God is love, and he exists by himself, how is he demonstrating it before he created man? But when we think about the three members of the Godhead, then we can see that each member of Godhead becomes the object and the other person becomes, the other member becomes subject. So within the members of the three uh, persons in the Godhead, we have the object and the subject. So that's why we can say, God's love is complete. So what we're arguing is, without an object, you really cannot say you have love. So, this being the case, the Holy Spirit, through Apostle Paul, provides us features that are necessary in identifying presence or absence of love as it relates to the object of love. Now, since something may be described either positively or negatively, or both, the Holy Spirit described love for us both positively and negatively. Now the apostle began with a positive characterization of love. Then he moved to negative characterizations in terms of what love never does. And he ended with positive characterization in terms of responses associated with love. It is worth noting then that the apostles spend more, more time or more space on the negative than on the positive. In other words, he tells more of what love does not do than what it does. Now that's, I find that fascinating. Why is that so? Well, it fascinates me because it tells about our sinful nature. Because we are fallen human beings. So by telling us what we love does not does not does not does not do this, this, that, then it tells us that we as humans, if we have the love, then we're going to avoid those things because those are the natural things that come to us uh, by being human. So in other words, uh, the apostle tells more than of what love does, not than more than what uh, I mean, what it does not do than more than what it does. Now, most commentators believe this is in large part due to the fact that Paul's comment or his comments about love here are not based on some abstract what they call uh, context uh, uh, meditation 
on the subject, but on proving or providing a stinging uh, rebuke or contrast in the behavior of some of Corinthian Christians. So that why he uses does not, does not is because he's stinging it to them. This is what you are doing. It shouldn't be done because that's not love. Anyway, that is notwithstanding the characterization of love that we have in our passage is intended to help us prove the truthfulness of our claim to love someone. Now it is easier to say that you love a person. Now to me, I've said it many times, I love you. It's nothing better in what I call blowing hot air until I see the action. Otherwise you're just blowing hot air. It doesn't mean anything. So, all I'm saying is that the Holy Spirit provides us then undeniable measures of testing our claims of love. In other words, you can say all you want, I love you. Now, that's what I'm saying. That's a hot air coming out of your mouth. It doesn't mean anything until actions back them up. So that's what we're looking at here. So, what the apostle is giving us are things that help us to put to test that claim. If I say, I love you. Do I? Here the way we find out. So this being the case, we can state then that the actual message of this passage that we're about to study is this. You should test your claim of love by comparing your love to the positive and the negative characteristics of love the Holy Spirit provides in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. In other words, the message says, you say, I love. Well, test that claim by comparing what you call love to the positive and negative characteristics of love that the Holy Spirit provides in our passage of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. In other words then, if you find that you fail any of the characteristics given in our uh, passage, but claims to love, that you should recognize that your claim is not valid. It's not valid. Now having said that though, let me caution that because the love we are concerned with here is the fruit of the Spirit. Not all the characteristics given may be, may be present at any particular time. In other words, that all the characteristics given may not necessarily be evident at a given point to claim to love a person. It doesn't mean that all that we will see here must be present at one time. It doesn't really mean that. It is a situation at hand that determines if a person's claim of love is true. So I'm saying that it is the situation that we face that determines the characteristic of love that is demonstrated. What this means is that all the 15 characteristics 
will not be evident. I won't say they are not there, but they will just not be evident at a given time, but only the characteristic that is relevant to the situation that exists between the subject and the object of love that will be displayed. Because there are many, all those 15 characteristics, doesn't mean they all will be displayed. It all depends on the circumstance between you and the one you claim you love. That's what which of this uh, applies. So anyway, because we have indicated that the personification of love should be understood as meaning that a, uh, a person who possesses love will display the characteristics stated in our passage. We will discuss these often as they related to the object of love. In other words, our focus should be more as we talk about this characteristic, the object. Because that's how you know. You say, I love you. Let's look at the object. How, how you, what are your actions transferred to the object? That's how you know about love. Anyway, the first characteristic of love, the apostle stated, is concerned with how a person with love reacts when provoked or when faced with trying circumstance brought about by the object of love. When you face, when you are provoked by the one you claim you love or some circumstance brought about by that person that you claim you love. Now so this characteristic of love then is being patient with the object of love as we read then in the first sentence of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 4 when it says love is patient. Love is patient. Now the expression is patient is translated from a Greek verb that may mean to remain tranquil while waiting. That is to have patience to wait. As it is used to describe Abraham's response to God's promise to him, as we read in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 15. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 15. It reads, And so, after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. Now the word may mean to be patient, to, that is forbearing. That is to bear up under provocation without complaint. As the word is used to instruct believers as to how they should respond to everyone as we read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 14. First Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 14. First Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 14. It is, and we urge you, brothers, 
Warn those who are idle. Encourage the timid. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. That's a word. Now the Greek word may mean to delay. To delay. As the word is used in the mouth of the Lord Jesus regarding God's uh, uh, inevitable response towards those who cry to him for justice. As recorded in Luke chapter 18 verse 7. Luke Luke chapter 18 verse 7 Luke chapter 18 verse 7 reads And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night Will he keep putting them off? Now the translators of the 1984 edition of the NIV use the expression putting off, putting off to translate our word here while some English versions such as the New English translation use the meaning to delay. He will not delay, to delay. Now, that aside, in our passage of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4, the Greek word has a sense of to bear up under provocation without complaint. To bear up under provocation without complaint. Or to be even tempered while enduring trying circumstance or circumstances. That's then to be patient. So the first, this first characteristic of love indicates our being patient under difficult circumstances proves our point that love advocated for believers in our passage of study is that produced by the Holy Spirit. Since patience is also an aspect of the fruit of the Spirit as we read in the passage I told you I'll be going back several times and that's Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. You don't need to turn there, just listen again. Say, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. That's what we're looking at. Patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. Now, that aside, the way then you know that you have love towards someone is your willingness to be patient or to bear up without complaint. With that person that has wronged you. You're able to bear up. Without complaining. That's how you know you love that person. Now this characteristic of love is one that those who are pastors, for example, should use to test their love for their congregations. Now a a pastor who loves his congregation should demonstrate that love through his patience in communicating God's word to them, as we read in Second Timothy chapter four, verse two. Second Timothy chapter four. Second Timothy chapter four, verse two. It is. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. 
correct, rebuke, and encourage with great, look at that word, patience and careful instruction. Now similarly then, members of a local congregation will demonstrate love towards their pastors or teachers if they patiently listen to their teaching of God's word as we may gather from the appeal of the human author of Hebrews to the recipients of his epistle in Hebrews chapter 13 verse 22. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 22. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 22 reads, Brothers, I urge you to bear with my word of exhortation. To bear. That's really the issue here. That's being patient. To bear with my word of exhortation. For I have written you only a short letter. So anyway, a first characteristic then of love is patience. Or being even tempered while enduring trying circumstances. And so you cannot tell if you love a person until you are able to be patient with them when they wrong you or that you remain calm when they irritate you. You can do that. That's when you claim, I love you. All of that time you say, just blowing hot air. This is the first characteristic. We go to the second. But we do that after break and the Lord's Supper.